they don't necessarily have to go at the pace of the rest of the class. They can still set their own pace instead of being forced into uh, the right lane when, when they want to go in the left lane. I would think yes and no, though, because it is a synced model, so they still have to move at yeah, the same so, pace as the other. So the, the answer, again, is it depends, <laughs> or yes and no. Um, so, there's no black yeah, and white so, here? Yeah, there's no, no black and white. So, I mean, there is flexibility. You're listening to Instruction by Design, your podcast to the art of teaching. Among the host of modern innovative advances in education today, Adaptive learning has emerged as yet another step away from a one-size-fits-all, lecture-based approach and towards a customizable, individualized, and guided learning experience. Broadly speaking, adaptive learning is an educational technology that provides custom learning experiences by responding to a student's interaction in real time. Learners progress through a network of learning objects and every learner vectors through that content differently depending on their mastery of the subject matter. This, of course, is in contrast to the more familiar traditional approach in higher ed, where learners are expected to work linearly through each piece of course material from start to finish. Adaptive learning utilizes artificial intelligence to track a learner's progress and emulate the individual support that a live instructor would otherwise provide including immediate feedback through formative assessments, subsequent adaptation of learning pathways forward, and access to supplemental resources where necessary. Machine learning and predictive analytics guide students through educational material with the intention of empowering learners by allowing them to progress at their own pace while promptly remediating them when they have yet to gain demonstrable proficiency. Does this sound familiar, dear listeners? It might to those of you who use the popular language learning app Duolingo. Placement tests, spaced repetition, and instructional content that changes by adapting to your performance are all driven by deep learning AI algorithms integrated into the Duolingo experience. However, adaptive learning isn't just the integration of AI as a steward of good learning. It's also a challenge to the traditional concept of seat time as a critical measure of learning. The seat time model, also known as the 120-hour Carnegie unit, is what most of us have come to know, yet it is increasingly criticized for unfairly rewarding fast learners as being smarter and brighter while simply tolerating or outright calling slower learners in the process. Furthermore, the seat time model can allow for students to receive a passing grade without necessarily demonstrating mastery of course objectives. Adaptive learning, on the other hand, shifts the focus towards a competency-based model of learning that issues credits upon the demonstration of mastery. What the learner knows becomes the focus rather than how quickly they know it. In other words, proficiency over speed. So, please join us today as we talk about adaptive learning, how it is being implemented here at Arizona State University, and more on this episode of IBD. Welcome to this episode of Instruction by Design, your podcast to the art of teaching. My name is Aaron Kraft from ASU's Edson College of Nursing and Health Innovation. Joining me today are my colleagues, Jeanette Senecal, Celia Katraitiwa, and we have a special guest. We would like to welcome Peter Van Lusen. Peter, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thank you for having me. My name is uh, Peter Van Lusen. I'm a manager of instructional design at EdPlus at Arizona State University. In that role, I have the pleasure to 
uh, work on some of our initiatives uh, across the college or the, across the university, particular on some of these new models of, that involve digital in education. Great. Well, thank you for joining us today. All right. So uh, let's jump in. Peter, what is the promise of adaptive learning? Yeah, that's an excellent question. So in basic terms, the promise of adaptive courseware or adaptive learning is to help learners, independent of their knowledge, their background, their skills, to be successful in an academic environment uh, at their own pace and in their own level of understanding. In short, what we say here is that we want to deliver the right lesson to the right student at the right time. And that's particularly important to ASU or Arizona State University. As we all know, our charter is focused on access to education as well as how students succeed. And also we are a large public university. So uh, what we've noticed is that uh, we're having students come in with different backgrounds and skills and, and, and knowledge to our, you know, to our freshman experiences, particularly our general education classes. Uh, we notice then that these classes become large enrollment. So often we have students, several hundreds, you know, 400, 500 students in the class. Like we're talking about the introduction biology course, the introduction math course, the introduction psychology course, and so on. And if you have students in these large enrollment settings that are generally taught in lecture-based format, but these students are not academically prepared to be successful in this format, you tend to struggle or the university tend to struggle. So we have students not performing well and we also have a retention issue. So students are starting to drop out. It's, a, it's an issue of scaling. Yeah, it's really an issue of scaling, at least for ACU, right? So there are different ways you can apply adaptive learning, but we are looking at that to address the, the, the challenges that come with the large enrollment with the scale, right? So that we have with our mission. Are these uh, courses that use adaptive learning here, are they core courses? Yeah, so we started, let's look back a little bit. Actually, Dale Johnson, who's the director of uh, the Adaptive Initiatives, is really the, the brainchild behind this approach. He started in 2011, right? He was charged. So ASU noticed that uh, these general education courses were struggling with retention and student success numbers. So as a specific intervention, Dale was hired to create the adaptive initiative, right? And he started in 2011 uh, with a math course. Uh, he partnered with different vendors to address these general education courses, introduction biology and math, math and uh, like college algebra and so on. And he was so successful to increase student success, which is performance, which we measure in grades like A, B, C as well as retention, uh, that uh, uh, we worked through several other general ed courses and now to a full undergraduate biology program. Last year, we had a complete enrollment of, uh, last academic year, we had a complete enrollment of about 27,000 students oh, wow. going through an adaptive experience at Arizona State. And this is online? No, actually we're using both modalities. Really? So we're using a hybrid model as well as uh, online model for that so I just love hearing about this from this lens of student success not just innovation for innovation's sake necessarily or experimental reasons but having a very purposeful vision around how this kind of how this kind of intervention 
can really be rolled out to get to something as big as our charter, our values, our mission here. That's really it's fantastic. Yeah, uh, I give full credit to Dale Johnson for that. He really was the visionary behind that to see hey, he's charged with incre uh, increasing retention and as well as increasing student performance in these courses, what can be done? And he looked at what could align with our mission and uh, what can we use, what tools are out there to achieve that. So to go back to the charter for a moment, yeah. I take the shuttle in, I, I, I park at one campus and I shuttle from that campus to the downtown campus. And on my walks every morning lately, uh, there has been construction they're actually putting up, I don't know if it's like a plaque or like a little statue that lists our, our ASU's charter, yeah. right? our, our, our mission statement. I think the, the number one point, though, in our charter is that it's not about who we exclude, but about who we include. Yeah. So mm -hmm. the key phrase is uh, we serve, uh, we measure ourselves by whom we include and how they succeed. There we right? go. So, so there are two points here, the inclusion part, right, with access. So we have people different pathways and on how to enroll at Arizona State University. But also important is that these people stay at Arizona State University because we want them to be successful. So it's more than just getting them into the door. You know, it's also helping them being successful when they're in, through the door and staying enrolled and staying in their seats so they can experience the learn, uh, learning the different subjects and complete their majors. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And so it sounds like this adaptive learning initiative that you said began in 2011 here yeah. uh, with uh, Dale Johnson. That's correct. It basically uh, aligns itself to that initial core value in our charter statement of being inclusive and helping students to succeed. And uh, in addition to our design aspirations, which are student success, yeah. one of them, Absolutely. student success. Yeah, it's, it's so important here that they're putting up this the, the charter along my daily walk from my <laughs> office to the shuttle. So it's, it's a big deal here. It'll help keep you focused. Yeah, yes. right. <laughs> yeah, a lot of our initiatives try to address the access as well as the success issue, right? Yeah. So not just the adaptive one. That's just one of them. That's just one of them, for yeah, sure. one yeah. of them, yeah. So. so let me ask you, how is ASU currently utilizing adaptive learning? Yeah, so the way we are implementing adaptive learning, it's actually kind of interesting. It's not just, we're not just focusing on the tool, right? And so we are also focusing how we use the tool. And we call that framework the adaptive active framework. And what that means is pretty much that there is an adaptive software or courseware uh, available. Uh, students work individually with the software before they come physically to class. So that they are prepared, you know, remember I talked about that people have different skills, background and knowledge. Yeah. So it, through the adaptive software, everybody gets up to speed to a certain level. Mm -hmm. So once they get to that certain level, then they come to class. And then we worked with our instructors to switch their lecture-based instructions to more student-centered instruction or active learning. Mm -hmm. right? So what that means is... Uh, in contrast to the adaptive platform where somebody worked individually, now in the class they're working groups and they do case studies, they do discussions, they do project-based learning, they do labs and so on. And then they uh, talk to each other about it and really do this constructive learning, right? What so, a great balance. Yeah. And also it's important to know that uh, the summative assessments like the exams, the finals and so on are handled in class. Um, 
while pretty much we look at the adaptive soft, uh, courseware as a formative tool, right? So students can go back, they can check their understanding, they can try uh, uh, quizzes uh, as many times as they want, and so on. And so we have built-in like, interactive, little multiple choice questions, uh, little ways where students can really ensure that they meet, uh, understood the content. Yeah. Now, is this model used for both the hybrid and purely online courses? Yeah, so the model we call, it's a flipped synced model. So uh, we started over the hybrid. So that's why I say before they come physically to class, right? So uh, it's flipped because adaptive software first and then active learning in the classroom. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, we do the same thing in the online environment. And come, instead of coming to a classroom, the active learning or student-centered activities happen online in the learning management system. So where we do the same thing, discussions, uh, group-based activities, uh, a lot of these classroom assessment techniques that foster like reflection, metacognition, and so on. So we're really working hard on this. Important to understand is that we also use the SYNC model, SYNCED model. Mm -hmm. So and that talks about that time issue that you brought up in your introduction. So Synced, what it means is that we still use pretty much the semester schedule, still the weekly schedule for students in order to guide them through the learning material. Uh, we actually learned it the hard way that, uh, you know, a lot of people think about adaptive learning. Hey, it's just a courseware. You give it to students. Students will work on it on their own pace, to their own competencies and so on, and everything will be fine. Well, we actually tried that uh, in 2011 and failed miserably. So uh, what happened is that the high achievers, they went in, finished the course very quickly, but the majority procrastinated to the very end. And surprisingly, or not surprisingly, that resulted in a lot of people not being able to finish or not doing very well. So... And it also lacked that human component that's so important to learning, right? Yeah, right. So that's why we decided to this active adaptive framework that is uses adaptive software, which is necessary to be successful, but it's not necessarily the, uh, the only intervention or the only thing that's uh, that needs to be included. I'm thinking that, yeah, if these are high enrollment core courses, that your population is likely mostly students right out of high school, or this is their first, second year in college? Yeah, so for the general education classes, in, that tends to be the case. Mm -hmm. But I know, as you know, ASU has quite a broad range of learners. You oh, know? sure. So it's particularly online, you know, so uh, we are looking at different demographics there, yeah. right? So what some people call non-traditional learners, right? So uh, so if you look at two, into our online courses that use the software, the learner profile is slightly different than uh -huh. on campus. Oh, interesting. So, yeah. Well, I was just thinking that one of the reasons it's nice to have a physical presence when you're just starting college, an instructor there is because, you know, you need someone to hold your hand a little bit, unless you're really on top of your stuff, which, you know, I wasn't at 18 or 19 for sure. But um, it helps to have someone physically you know, yelling at you or pointing their finger at you saying, no, like it's due at this time, you know, or, or whatever, laying down that, that, that pathway forward for you and holding your hand through it. Yeah. And so if you're doing everything at home by yourself, you don't have that. You don't have that structure. I can see where you might wait to the last minute and then be like, oh, geez, uh, you know. Yeah, so I mean, you bring up some very good points. As we all know, as instructional designers, there are certain, 
I would say, soft skills that are necessary in order to be successful in an online environment. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm talking about time management, organization, and these kind of things, like netiquette, you know, these kind of mm -hmm. things. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and these need to be taught, right? And uh, as you pointed out, if somebody was new to this experience, you know, uh, it's sometimes probably better to have like a face-to-face -face environment where somebody is managing that for them. Yeah, right. 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 So, yeah. I'm just going to say younger learners are mm -hmm. not. That structure can be very important for a huge diversity of learners, especially regardless of age, but especially those who haven't really had much opportunity to develop that self-determination, self-driven, I know how to learn kind of thing and haven't fully wrapped their mind around that yet. These kind of inputs help give them something to put their back up against as they develop those soft skills and competencies mm. to be effective learners over time in class or online or somewhere in between. Along with that, have you seen any issues with access to technology or um, even just maybe they have access to technology, but the, the technology that they use isn't necessarily up to par or speed? to handle the adaptive learning software? Uh, no, but by this time, I think the access to technology is just for students that are enrolled at Arizona State has been pretty much solved, mm -hmm. you know, so we don't see many. So people need okay. to be able to, I mean, their course requirements, technology requirements mm -hmm. with this, you know, you have to be able to access our learning management system. And we pretty much just have plug our, yeah, the adaptive courseware through the, learning management system okay. and so on. And there are on campus plenty of computer labs and mm -hmm. stations available so they could access that. But uh, if you look at some of the profiles, some of the data that we're getting from our, say, unincoming students and so on, uh, we, we see that it's pretty saturated, that people have technology access is less of an issue mm -hmm. for students who are already admitted to ASU. Mm -hmm. That's different in some of our open initiatives that are international. Mm -hmm. uh, we're talking, that's a different ball game there. So, oh, okay. I mean, this is a great question just mm -hmm. like to know. I know there are demographics and we can pull the data, but mm -hmm. I honestly don't know right on my yeah. you know, yeah. so. And I could see that probably being a bigger issue back in 2011 when it was originally implemented and, and um, piloted. Yeah. Versus now, where everything has greatly improved. Yeah, and uh, you know, Canvas uh, like the OLMS is available, mobile, mobile mm -hmm. available oh, yeah. as well as the adaptive software as well, oh, right? Okay. So, but of course, we're talking about some of the heavy data usage, like videos and interactives mm -hmm. and so on, and that might impact if you have a bad cell phone reception. You know, so. mm -hmm. interesting. I imagine that whatever we're using now is rather lightweight other than like you were saying, like the videos, perhaps. Uh, I wouldn't say lightweight in technology standards. I mean, we, we spend, I mean, it's, it's quite sophisticated technology. Yeah. Because you th have to think about it as a network behind it. There's a lot of connections, a oh, lot of databases, okay. a lot of the mm -hmm. data is being collected for learning analytics, mm -hmm. right? So that, uh, there's an algorithm behind that so that the system can make recommendations based on your choices, based on your responses, based on your behavior throughout the system. So there's actually quite a lot of interaction behind the scenes going on. So, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I wouldn't say it's light. So it's not. OK, so, you know, I was under the impression that it was a rather lightweight kind of thing uh, being integrated into like the learning. This is integrated into the learning management system. Is that correct? Yeah, it's an LTI connection. It's an LTI so, connection. Yeah, so, yeah, but uh, I wouldn't say it's a lightweight technology, if that's what you were framing. I mean, 
it connects to a database and, and so on. Right? It's different than reading a website. Before the episode, I told Peter that if my introduction had any egregious errors to please stop me, him being the expert, I, I have been studying up on this for the past two weeks now, oh, yeah, <laughs> voraciously trying to understand <laughs> it. So I'm learning more and more. So I'm curious, how do we know that this is working? Yeah, that's an excellent question, right? So what does success look like and how do we measure it, right? So the way we do it here at Arizona State, we're using basically two variables, and that's student performance. So that's measured in grades. Uh, we talk in ABCs, so that's for us success. And also retention, right? So we have historic data on, on withdrawal rates from, from courses, and we can see based on our intervention, like how these um, numbers improve or even go down, right? Mm -hmm. So, but it's, you know, it's important to understand that uh, we look at this as a whole, not just uh, say if numbers go up, it's not necessarily due to the adaptive system, right? Uh, as I mentioned earlier, there are a lot of interventions that we have implemented with the adaptive active model right mm -hmm. uh, so that's the technology but there's also changing the method of instruction from lecture based to student-centered teaching right so um, you know having students actually do something with the information is crucial for learning as we all know in this room right so so and so we, we so that's how we measure we're looking at literally uh, right now performance and retention numbers. Uh, some examples uh, that I can bring up, uh, of course I can't, don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but one of our stellar examples, our hybrid introduction biology course, which is taught uh, each semester to, to 450, 450 students, one instructor, a couple undergraduate lab assistants and so on. And what we saw before the, when it was lecture based, we saw it was like in the 70s, with student performance, 70%-ish uh, performance, and like withdrawal rate was around 10, 15%, mm -hmm. right? So, and we went in, uh, or Dale went in and, you know, helped with active learning, brought in the adaptive technology. And we are, with student performance, we are close to 90%. You know, that's sometimes, huge. yeah, that's, uh, that's actually the goal that ACU has for, we want to get a student performance of 90%. So 90% of the students have an A or A, B or C. And then uh, with the retention rate, that's even more impressive. It's like, while well, we we're hovering between 10 and 15%, now we are down to 5% withdrawal, right? That's amazing. Yeah, and if you think about it, if you have 450 students, but you keep, you know, um, five to 10% of the students enrolled, I mean, over time, that's quite the numbers of students. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. College algebra, we did a couple of different interventions there as well. Previous success numbers were maybe in the 50s, 50%, right? And after we implemented the adaptive initiative, we changed to more student-centered uh, teaching, and we also extended the timeline that we gave them two semesters to finish the course. We moved from the mid-70s, uh, from the mid-50s to the mid-70s. Right. Mm -hmm. And now we even in uh, this last year, we even met and moved into the 80s. And that's uh, we scale it up from 2,500 students to 5,000 students. Wow. This last that's year. a huge outcome. Yeah. I mean, just the numbers are very impressive. So something's going right here. Yeah. And it's a combination. And from my prof prof uh, professional 
opinion, right? So mm-hmm. we have the adaptive tool that helps people become familiar, reiterate, and become proficient with the basics, right? And then in the class or in the learning management system, we actually have students apply that knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. And we as instructional designers know that, you know, that's much more su- uh, supportive of learning. If you want to talk about Bloom's taxonomy, really the adaptive... We always want to talk about oh, Bloom's taxonomy. <laughs> we love Bloom's taxonomy, right? So the adaptive, the way we look at it, the adaptive system really addresses the lower levels, the comprehension levels. I was curious about so that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the facts, you know, so if you have, say, for you, history, you know, it really is a textbook on steroids. You have a lot of uh, facts and basic concepts and, uh, you know, that's being shared with videos, with text, images, uh, and so on. We do some basic formative assessment in the in this adaptive software. But then in class, uh, one of the examples of the student-centered uh, learning activities was that students had to become historians. Mm. So they had, they had to, uh, you know, they become, you know, what are like uh, secondhand source, first, uh, you know, like original sources. They had to investigate their family history. They had to make an in- do an interview. They have to look at, at different newspapers and so on and learn more about their own lives. And then they had to create a, a project around that. So, so they're really getting into that application and synthesis at that point. Yeah, and it yeah. becomes very personal to them, yeah. sounds like. Yeah, and then in context of the U.S. history then, right? So, and that's quite interesting, uh, you know, especially in Arizona. Uh, we have people from different uh, backgrounds and so on, as well as if you have online students, we have from all over the world. That's quite interesting to see. So maybe you can help me out with this, Peter. When I was looking up everything adaptive learning, I kept coming around or I kept seeing the the term personalization. I also saw individualized. There are a lot of these terms being thrown around. So how do you define personalized learning? Excellent question. Uh, as we know, there are a lot of terms in our field and a lot of <laughs> a lot of jargon and there's a lot of different interpretation of some of these terms. There is, yeah. So the way we looked at per, here, look at personalized learning versus adaptive learning is quite simple so personalized learning is more like the path that you as an individual take to learn Mm. something say you know here we in in this room uh, the goal is we want to learn how to change a tire like in the car there are different ways we can choose to pursue that goal you can enroll into a formal class Mm -hmm. that's one way you can uh, uh, go to a mechanic observe uh, him or her and learn how they change tires Uh, so you get like an apprenticeship model you can talk to your family member who might have done this before right so there are different ways or you know can even read about it right so there are different ways that's personal to you to choose to pursue this adaptive learning or adaptive tools is just one of these methods Mm -hmm. and so it's one of these tools that can be personal right Um, and the way and why we're using this as asu as as we mentioned before is the issue of scale right Mm -hmm. so we have the context of a university we have the semester-based schedule we have large enrollment classes what is a tool to help us make this a little bit more personalized and that's adaptive in this case right so there's certain hard frameworks that we have to still work within. For example, the semester time limit doesn't necessarily change here, but it sounds like the learning paths that occur within that time frame 
are slowly becoming malleable and personalized. Would that be fair? I mean, in universities, you can create your own majors and so on. So that's more like what I consider like personalized learning and so on. But like if you're in a, I guess, more constrained environment where you have certain learning objectives that are, you know, and there's a class that you have to go through, adaptive tools gives you more flexibility in the pathways, you know, how you go through it, you know? I'm talking about like, like, like the college algebra or biology courses that you mentioned earlier. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's actually a good segue into like, what does an adaptive experience look like? Right. So I'm um, curious. About yeah. That. So what is really adapting to the student is uh, two things. First, it's the sequence, what we call of lessons, right? Mm -hmm. As, uh, lessons are learning objective, uh, assess, matching assessment and matching instructional resources, right? So, so the sequence of lessons can be different, right? If, uh, Say you go through a certain topic, the, less, uh, the sequence can be A, B, C, D. If I go through a sequence, I could go A, C, B, A, uh, D, right? These kind of things. You can go like maybe D, C, A, B, right? So, right? so different sequence, right? Uh, what about Jeanette? <laughs> well, I was going to say earlier you mentioned that there's sort of a preliminary assessment as well, which I imagine is a strength of adaptive systems where if somebody already has a slightly higher than average foundational knowledge base, maybe they skip A altogether yep. and they just yeah. do B, C, and D. Yeah. So they wouldn't all necessarily have that same experience within the adaptive learning. Yeah. Um, or oh, the same starting point, mm -hmm. right? So, yeah, certain products have that. Alex is one. They have mm -hmm. a knowledge check, what they're called, and it's pretty extensive. takes about 40 to 50 minutes, and that's based on then they you did if they define where you get started right mm -hmm. so uh, not every course have that for example what we learned say when we started in psychology you know most students never had a psychology all right and if you do a pre-assessment you know based on something they don't know you know so it, that's not a good way to place people right so you mm -hmm. pretty much start everybody with the zero right so and let them dictate their starting point yeah or the pace through the, the curriculum. Pace through the curriculum, yeah. So because that's also the second part that adjusts to the student. So we had first the sequence. The second is the content, mm. right? So, uh, like what is offered to them, right? So uh, you and uh, you and I might be on different path, right? So something that I use is hey, it might be uh, in the context. Say we talk about physics and we're talking about say velocity and so on. And uh, we want to calculate how a ball moves and, you know, the, the forces on this and so on. Let's assume there was some kind of trigger in the beginning that asked us, hey, what context are you interested in? I'm a big soccer fan. You might be a big basketball fan. So I might see the same concepts in the context of soccer while you see it in the context of basketball. You so know? it so, even adapts the context. Yeah, so wow. this, these are more sophisticated systems, uh -huh. but in theory that's possible. Hmm. Also, it can be done uh, with this modality, like, okay, Peter, based on his previous track records, Peter likes videos, mm -hmm. while Sergio likes readings, right? Mm -hmm. So if there's enough material available, like secondary and tertiary and so item, you know, there might be the option say, hey, I'm going to, the system is going to recommend a video to Peter and a reading to Celia. So, so that's pretty much what's adjusting the lesson sequence as well as the content. All right. So, so what guides that adaptation, uh, the adaption? 
Yeah, that, that's a great question because a lot of people talk about adaptive. Uh, a lot of vendors use adaptive, right? Mm -hmm. Even most learning management systems today say they are adaptive. But the way we define it pretty much there are four ways, right? Uh, the first one is based on assessment. And that's very common. Most systems have that today. So everybody in the room here goes through the same material. Mm -hmm. Say we're reading the same, we're watching the same video, and then there's a question at the end. And depending on how you respond to that question, the system recommends the next step, right? So a lot of people call it gating, you know. So uh, you guys are all smart. Let's say you go through the question, answer it right, you move on to the next level, next content item. Mm -hmm. Peter needs a little extra help. He answered the question incorrectly or the number of questions incorrectly. And then he gets like some kind of remedial material before mm -hmm. he has to retake the assessment, right? Mm -hmm. So that could be another video and so on. So that's the most basic level of adaptive, and most systems have that today, right? Then the other one is what we call by association, uh, which is like uh, choose your own adventure kind of style, right? So in adaptive systems, you can create learning path mm -hmm. in different pathways, right? Mm -hmm. So we talked about the basketball versus the soccer example earlier, right? So the concepts are the same, but you're definitely like on a different context path, right? And Depending on a choice at a certain time in the system, you know, you're being put on this pre-programmed path. So the instructor or the system might have programmed this path and say, okay, you got to go through this one first before, uh, uh, and while Peter made the different choice, goes in a different way, right? And I call that the Amazon. If you like this item, you might like these <laughs> items as well. But this is the kind of algorithm you see in a lot of popular websites these days, eBay, Facebook, Google, they all do this. Yeah, so they basically look at your choices that you made uh, previously, right? And then they, uh, the system recommends an, uh, an item for you. There are two differences. Either it recommends or it makes you go through it, right? So, so sometimes it's choice and sometimes right. it is uh, must go through this. Now, that seems awfully complex, though. Is that something that we're implementing here? Yes, uh, some systems wow. have that, right? Uh, some of the more sophisticated systems. I know that in math we're doing that, in biology we're doing that. Really? So math is Alex, uh, Cogbooks is using in biology and so on. Well, yeah. I definitely rescind my lightweight comment earlier. That <laughs> yeah. It's much more complex than I thought we were getting at. Yeah, yeah, think mm -hmm. about it. So if you have people on different paths, you know, so how, as an instructor, can I hold them accountable for knowledge and what shall my assessment be, right? Mm -hmm. So how will I know what they're actually learning, right? Mm -hmm. So the way this is solved is that pretty much before the class starts, instructor goes in and identifies primary path items, right, lessons. So every student in this class has to go through these path items, the primary path items, because then you can... Uh, align your assessments with mm. these items, right? Mm. So there might be supplemental material, tertiary material, but that's not being assessed, you know? So, so yeah, have, that's uh, by uh, association. We yeah. talked about assessment. Assessment, association. Is there anything else guiding the adaptation? Yeah, we have actually two more types. So one of the nicer ones is uh, what we call student agency. Uh, so pretty much having giving students the choice to pursue what they're interested in right so uh, and that can be triggered by either self-assessment or recommendations or 
the way I explain it, like in the good old days when we had textbooks, you know, physical textbooks, we flipped through the pages and we saw maybe an interesting image and say, oh, this looks interesting. Let's spend some time reading it. So some of the systems have that built in, yeah. right? Pretty much you have all of the course available and students can either search through it or they can like uh, page, go page by page and spend more time on a topic they're really interested in, right? So that's uh, uh, all, it's like a com in combination with the association where, like you said, the Amazon model, right? So, say, yeah, there's no overlap so, okay, there. you know, okay, we have uh, you, you watch this and here are five movies, which you think like uh, we should we think you like you can pick so it's like some agency there right so yeah, right so that's available as well so the fourth way we define adaptive and it's probably the most complicated and probably the fewest vendors have that available it's the uh, what we call algorithm and that's uh, when you have a very sophisticated system that's based on learning analytics uh, what i call big data mm -hmm. right and the way it works is that you have to have a large number of users gone through this. And so and then the company or the vendors or the system creates profiles. So let's assume, Aaron, you go through the, lesson, uh, the lessons and then the system recognizes, okay, thousands of people went through a system similar to Aaron. And what worked for these thousands of people before could work for Aaron. So the system is going to recommend this to Aaron as the next item. Interesting. And I think I might have been confusing that with the association before, but now I can see the, the difference. Yeah. So there's, uh, there's, it's an overlap, right? Yeah. So um, It's the kind of thing where you have to feed it. Like the more information you feed it, the smarter it becomes. Well, there's yeah. some predictive modeling there too that might be above and beyond that sort of association that's just discrete, knowing that there's a genre of things you like. So you might like something else that's in the genre. Mm -hmm. This is actually looking at some behavior patterns, right, right? right? And and interacting with those profiles and understanding that maybe it's not intuitive that this thing's outside a genre, but it could be the right thing for you as a learner, yeah. right? Yeah, and it's very complicated to create, but also very complicated to analyze, and you need to have a large number of users, right? right. So if you think about the Amazons and Netflix and so on, I mean, they have millions of users, right? So, and there are not that many systems that actually have that and educational. So, I mean, mm -hmm. Alex does have mm -hmm. a Khan Academy, a uh, large number of users. So they create these profiles. Yeah. I mean, a lot of companies working on that, but still need a lot of data, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm sure there's a whole conversation to have over access to individual data, access to private, you know, privacy issues here. Mm -hmm. Privacy and data security is a big topic that we are very concerned about. Every vendor uh, that we are working with here at ASU goes through a very very rigorous security review oh, okay so and with that security review there are a specific guideline on how data is handled and can be used who can see it who can access it yeah. and these kind of things so uh that it's very important to us so yeah so we spend a lot of there's a lot of rigor behind that process what about the adaptive learning software that's being used in accessibility is there any there yeah so sure. it's a very, a very good good question as well so accessibility as we know from instructional designers right mm -hmm. it's part of our uh, standards that we look at and evaluate yeah so we make sure that 
any vendor that we're working with here at ASU, we got to make sure that they're meeting the, the requirements for accessibility, which is Section 508 and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, we got to make sure that any video, for example, that is uh, available through the adaptive system that we record has either transcripts or closed captioning available. We got to make sure that uh, any image that we're using has alternative text available and so on. Of course, that doesn't cover the whole uh, spectrum of accessibility. At ASU, we also have a center, the DRC, which is the Disability Resource Center. We are working very closely with that center should certain needs arise. So, yeah, I mean, that's required by law, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, Mm -hmm. we are working very closely with that. Our vendors are aware of this, and that has been very positive. Good experience. So what are the students saying about this, the whole adaptive learning experience? Depends on who you talk to. Uh, <laughs> so, and, and there's certain reasons. So uh, a lot of people are very positive, but we also get some, uh, say, not so positive reactions. And mm-hmm. let me explain that before we talk about it. Um, a lot of people say this is a lot, a lot of very time intensive, takes a lot of work. Mm-hmm. And if you really think about it, if you compare it to the previous model where we use traditional textbook is for the first time, we actually can hold students accountable because we can see which pages they visited. We can see how much time they spent on these pages and so on because it's digital format, right? So, and based on that, students also get an indicator of how they are progressing and meeting the learning goals and objectives, right? So that's a little bit different than maybe a textbook where we did not have that insight, right? In addition, also that we learned the hard way, not every student necessarily knows in how to use an adaptive system or bias into this pedagogy, mm, right? So mm-hmm. uh, if they're familiar with the lecture-based model and they've been quite f- successful in it, you know, they just say, hey, why don't you just tell me what's on the test? You know, I take notes and I study for the test and I'd be successful. Now we do, uh, we have to often, particularly when it comes to peer instructions to more student-centered uh, strategies, we got to work with our students and help them understand how this benefits them now and in the long run, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So you will learn not just the content, you learn important soft skills, collaboration, communication, presentation skills. More of a holistic package, educational package. Yeah, and that's, uh, you know, that's part of our mission as well, right? So we are looking at the learners, you know, more than just content, right? So we are trying to uh, help them learn skills that they'll be, they become lifelong learners. The idea here was to help those learners who may not necessarily be fast learners to be able to keep up or, or give them like an equitable opportunity to learn the content and pass these courses along with the fast learners as well. And so Peter, you're talking about, I think the fast learners who are like, look, I know how to do this. I can take notes. I can pass the test. I've done this before. They know how they learn and they can do it. But I think what might be important to bring up is that these adaptive learning systems are also beneficial for the fast learners because they don't necessarily have to go at the pace of the rest of the class. They can still set their own pace instead of being forced into uh, the right lane when when they want to go in the left lane. I would think yes and no, though, because it is a synced model. So they still have to move at the same pace as the others. They might Mm. be able to finish it earlier, maybe in that week, but they still have to stay on the same schedule. Yeah. So 
So the the answer again is it depends. or yes and no. Um, so there's no black yeah, and white here. Yeah, there's no, no black and white. So I mean, there is flexibility within the system, right? So and in theory, the students could use the system and work through the whole content within the first week because the whole system is available to the student. Is that good for learning? Hmm. You know, uh, you know, we all talked about scaffolding. We talked about repetition over time. You know, that's all important concept that how supports learning. Right. So should we cram everything in the last hour before a test? Probably not the best idea. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So and we and that's why we do the synced model, you mm -hmm. know, and we talked about our learner backgrounds previously. So having that scaffold built in has been successful for us. We talked a little bit about that developing self-efficacy as a learner. This is an important part. And I imagine it's a critical factor helping them understand those benefits and what's beyond just that scope of well, I do fine with a lecture, give me the notes and I'll go take the test. Um, but I also think about this a little bit in terms of like a Kirkpatrick evaluation model. So this feedback you get from students, they at that bottom level of this evaluation model, they're reacting to something. They're reacting to a system or a technique or a process. Just because they're reacting maybe on skewing a little negatively doesn't necessarily mean that the learning's still not occurring and they're not re realizing that benefit it may just take time or it may take additional inputs from instructors and support teams to move beyond that. I'm just reacting to something. I like it. I don't like it to the level where there's measurable learning outcomes that are positive and that behavioral change level. In fact, where we're seeing the self-efficacy, the abilities, the soft skills of a learner beyond the scope of that class are being promoted. Yeah, that's an interesting perspective. I never thought about it from the Kirkpatrick level, but if you think about the four levels, right? So the first one is the reaction. The next one, can they apply it? Mm -hmm. Yes, that's definitely happening in the adaptive system. Can they apply it in the long run and in the future? You know, and what's the impact on the organization? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, we're still working on this. I mean, uh, level three is probably happening more in the... Uh, uh, summative assessments or the active learning. Mm -hmm. Well, in the long run, we are actually looking at how students who went through the adaptive experience of one course, how they're doing in other courses that yeah. are following. So right. interesting perspective, something to spend more time on. We talked about the student perspective and the experience, but what about the teachers? Do they like using this? And do they, what level of control do they have when implementing adaptive learning systems in their courses? What are the main concerns of a teachers when they are teaching a certain subject, right? So in a large enrollment class, right? So mm -hmm. there are a lot of logistics, you know, you want to, you know, it's hard sometimes to get to know the individual student and so on. So the main questions that a teacher might have is like, okay, of all the students, of the hundreds of students I have in my class, who is struggling? Who needs help, right? How do I identify that, right? So that's one of the main questions teachers have. Mm, right. So the second is, okay, once I've identified the students who are struggling, what is they actually need help with, mm. right? So, and the third way is, then, okay, what's the best way to help them, right? Yeah. Is it an intervention? Do they, is there like maybe a, a, a resource that can be shared to them in order to learn a context better? Do they need to talk to a person? You know, we have tutoring systems available or do they need to visit uh, uh, my office hours? We also have individual message direct to the instructor or the TAs available. So you do have real life people they can talk to. It's very important. Yeah, I mean, uh, we have more than just the adaptive system, right? So there are a lot of support mechanisms for these type of classes in order to be successful. And the system, you know, has dashboards that help you identify 
who is struggling or who's doing very well, right? So mm -hmm. you, you can see where they are in their learning process. So you know what content they are struggling with. And then, okay, you can also see what path they went through or uh, whether they maybe went through all the items in the, in the adaptive system, but they still don't pass the formative assessment and so on. So we can see this as an instructor in the system and we can either contact the student or we can recommend a certain intervention then, right? To get, a, that might not be system-based, right? So. so the instructor can basically get this real-time feedback from the students, of the student's performance and then act accordingly. Yeah, so they know through dashboards, through reports, through in, uh, assessments, you know, where the students right. are, right? So, mm -hmm. and, uh, Considering the scale we are at, you know, that's very helpful and it's mostly done from dashboards and reports, so. So there is a human touch. It's not just some great robot tutor in the sky. No, <laughs> no, it's not the tutor in the sky. Uh, we've read a lot about this. So now, so the way I, I teach as well, the way I look at this, okay, you know, I look at the dashboards, it gives me a, a better impression of what are some of the mis misconceptions students have, what are they mm -hmm. struggling with. So then I can take that information and come up with an intervention if there's nothing in the system, right? And this is like just-in-time teaching idea, right? Mm -hmm. So this has been around as well. Okay, I see, uh, you know, a large number of my students are struggling with this activity or with this question or with this concept. I then can, through the learning management system, create a quick video or share a great resource that's available, right? Mm -hmm. So, and that's also addressed a little bit the flexibility of the systems, right? Mm. So we don't necessarily need to do an intervention through the system, you know, if you have the learning management system or the in-class time. So, and you can use the data from the system to inform you, right? So that's something. What do. about in a scenario where, because these are like the uh, general studies, the more foundational courses mm -hmm. that they're getting this adaptive learning experience in, but let's say these students pass, they move on, but they still need some sort of intervention or remediation. Uh, are, do they have access to come back to those systems to be able to implement them again further on? Or are there other systems that can be used? Or is anyone else using adaptive learning in more specialized courses? At ASU, the policy is that uh, students have access to their classes for two years, mm -hmm. right? And that's pretty much also as long as they have access to the adaptive system mm -hmm. so they can go okay. back anytime. There are discussions, uh, particular for the BioSpine, the adaptive undergraduate model to change this licensing in the access model, but that's not implemented yet. So. Okay. I'm curious, how configurable are these systems for the instructor? What do they have control of? Yeah, in, in general, there are two models that uh, we have. One we call off-the-shelf, when you use, uh, say, a prepackaged uh, material that is you can get from a vendor. Mm -hmm. Often you can go in, uh, but you can't change the content itself. You can change, like, timelines, how many times people can, assessment, uh, can take assessments, and so on, configure it for your semester or for your implementation. That's... Uh, low cost, you know, use of adaptive system, you know, but less flexible. The more advanced system, the more flexible systems, uh, we call, you know, where we develop 
develops uh, the content and so on. So some systems have editors where you can pretty much go in before the course begins. You look at a library of lessons. Uh, that lesson is a learning objective, an assessment, an instructional resource. You, as the instructor, uh, look at the li library, you pick your lessons, you come up with a primary path item. Uh, if there's something missing, you can contribute to this. You mm -hmm. know? So mm -hmm. say, hey, I want to spend a little more time on this topic and there's not much in the system hey you can create a video and uh, add it to the system and so on so you can configure this takes a little more time takes a little more effort yeah. um, uh, so but some of these systems are becoming more and more flexible over the course of this podcast we've talked about the benefits course attainment and uh, dropout rates highly improving like a considerable portion actually <laughs> um, scaling yeah uh, instant feedback and uh, instructors being able to uh, keep an eye on their students through the, the dashboard analytics. But what are some of the limitations of adaptive learning in higher ed, in your opinion? I think a lot has to do with how it's been implemented, right? It's uh, adaptive technology is still in development. It's very powerful. But as instructional designers, we know it's not about the tool, it's how the tool is being used, mm -hmm. right? So, yeah, right. And that, that, you know, that refers to our active adaptive framework again, right? So the tool itself is not the solution. And I see very often that people just, hey, we're going to put an adaptive tool with this class, maybe as a homework, as a homework tool or as a supplemental tool. Mm -hmm. And it's not really having the impact. You know, it's just something additional, right? So really... One of the downsides of adaptive learning is that you need to spend time on thinking how you're going to use it, you know. And in our case, we made a central part of the learning experience and it addresses the lower level experiences and so on. Mm -hmm. It's not a quick fix. Uh, it takes a lot of work to develop. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. if you are building your own adaptive course, think about it you're not just doing the primary path that everybody goes through from a traditional course you're also thinking about secondary path item third party uh, third level you know mm -hmm. to, to develop like basically three types of curricula at the same time it's very complicated very resource intensive and takes time a lot of logical programming mm -hmm. involved there yeah so and that's again why asu is partnered with the vendors right so we're leveraging that expertise mm -hmm. we're leveraging that capability that we don't necessarily have in-house or don't want to invest in-house we know we have experts in the field we are able to work with them to create the content the assessment items and we help implement that with the vendor on their platform we talked about this being used for example in the um, college algebra yep. and 100 level biology for example right what i would think of as stadium seating courses if this were face to face <laughs> but uh are there disciplines where this doesn't work that's a big debate in the field. So it seems to be that STEM courses tend to be the target of these adaptive mm. initiatives. So there's a lot of efforts uh, in math, in physics, in biology uh, that use adaptive tools. I mean, we've worked and created U.S. history courses that are adaptive here. So we went mm -hmm. into the humanities. Uh, we tried it out. Uh, these courses are great. Uh, but there seems to be more interest into using this tool in the STEM-based courses right now. And there might be reasons for that. Maybe the retention rate, the student success rates are not as high as maybe in the humanities. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I could see it being more complicated, too, in some of those like um, language, like English and those types of courses. 
Yeah, maybe concepts it's, are more clear cut mm-hmm, in STEM yes. base, you know, so you yeah. you can program that easier, mm-hmm. you know. So, so any final words for our listeners? Yeah, if you're thinking about using adaptive software, adaptive tools, uh, there's great promise that we've seen here at ASU. There, um, it helps with the retention as well as student success. Uh, but you know, if you really think about it, make sure that you spend, have a plan with it. You know, it's not something that you can just implement and do, you know, you need to have a strategy behind it. You need to have, uh, help faculty understand. So there has to be some faculty training. Students have to be convinced. So you have to work with students on this. So this is quite a significant effort, right? Don't just throw the tool in there and think it will work. Mm -hmm. No, Mm -hmm. think about how the tool will be implemented. Design your course around the tool. <laughs> well, I love the adaptive active framework that you've established. I didn't come up with that, but it's a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> was, that, was that Dale Johnson? It's been in the field. So people have been talking about this, uh, how the different, what are the affordances of different uh, modalities, right? So, uh, and I think he picked it up and he was able to implement it due to the unique setup that we have here at ASU. So, which yeah. is different than some of the other public research institutions that I worked uh, at previously. Okay. So, Great. All right. Well, I would like to thank our special guest, Mr. Peter Van Lusen. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And I would like to thank Jeanette Senecal and Sila Kutwaitewa for uh, sharing their expertise on the subject as well. And if you would like to learn more about this topic, please check out our show notes for more resources on adaptive learning. And as always, we love hearing from our listeners on Twitter. Send us feedback. Let us know what you think. Send us topic ideas. We are always looking for more. You can reach us on Twitter at IBD underscore podcast. That is IBD as an instruction by design underscore podcast. Or you can email us at instructionbydesign at asu.edu. To find previous episodes, please visit our website at links.asu.edu slash IBD underscore podcast. This podcast was produced by Arizona State University's College of Nursing and Health Innovation. And I would like to thank Jeanette Senecal and Sila Kutwaitewa for uh, sharing their expertise on the subject as well. And let me see, I, I did not write the outro. <laughs> Here we go again. <laughs> Um, And if you would like to learn more about this topic, please...